Welcome to the Identity Theft Resource Center's Weekly Breach Breakdown for September 22nd, 2023. I'm Eva Velasquez, President and CEO of the ITRC, and thanks to Centrelink for supporting this podcast. Now, each week, you usually hear from James, Tim, or Alex on the most recent events and trends related to data security and privacy. But today, in a move I rarely make, I'm exercising executive privilege and I'm taking over the podcast. Um, I want to share a message with all of you on why we should take identity crime victimization seriously and the importance of comprehensive support for all of these victims. In the past couple of weeks, I've been doing a lot of writing on this topic, but it's so important to me that I just needed to use every means possible to share this message. So here we are. Now, earlier this year, President Biden released a presidential proposal for addressing the rise in identity fraud that grew during the pandemic and is still continuing at, at elevated rates today. Now, part of this plan included increased resources with coordination between government agencies and nonprofit victim support groups. If the need when this plan was released was great, it's even greater as we near the end of the year. The ITRC has been witness to the consequences identity crimes have on individuals and families, uh, communities, the country for more than two decades. However, for the first time in my almost 11 years as the ITRC CEO, the rate of identity crime victims contemplating suicide has grown to 16%. Let that sink in, 16% according to our annual victim impact research. Historically, the, the rates, the response rates for that question have hovered around 2 to 4%. So it begs the question, why are more and more identity crime victims thinking that ending their own life is the only way out, the only solution to this problem? Those of us, those of you listening and, and in this space know that the identity crime landscape has evolved with criminals employing increasingly sophisticated, constant, multi-channel attacks. But it's society's response that compounds the impact. How we talk to victims and how we talk about them is definitely a contributing factor. The words we use contribute to a culture of shame and humiliation where victims end up blaming themselves and, and feeling unsupported. When we use statements like it's not as bad as a violent crime, or we refer to victims as quote unquote duped or falling for, we are contributing to the problem. We're perpetuating feelings of uh, culpability and invalidation for their experience. The words of victims paint a very clear picture of what it feels like to be violated in this way. Here's a quote from a victim. I isolated myself from everyone because I can't make ends meet. I can't get the help or assistance I need and I feel like an idiot. Now, when working with identity crime victims as I have been doing for the last 11 years and actually working with fraud victims for decades, 
I see this, this stark reality that emerges, and that is the simple fact that there are too few resources to aid far too many victims. The, the organizations that should provide support often shun them, while government agencies, they, look, they're resource constrained, or sometimes they're just unequipped, and other times they're they're unable to help because of there's there are jurisdictional issues. So if we think about some of the things that we need to do to solve this problem, when I look at the path forward, one of the things that's required is emotional support along with the financial recovery assistance and legal guidance. Mental health services should be readily accessible for anyone struggling with the the trauma caused by these crimes. Financial institutions, law enforcement agencies, victim advocacy organizations, we all have to work together to provide that, that tailored assistance that actually empowers victims to regain control over their lives and removes stigma and shame and embarrassment. Now, as the Biden administration has acknowledged, we need to dismantle the notion that this this kind of victimization is just a minor inconvenience. I mean, let's underscore the fact that victims are not at fault. Rather, they're targets of cunning criminals that are just exploiting vulnerabilities in in our systems in our increasingly digital world, and frankly, with all the social engineering that's occurring right now in our brains, they are hacking our brains. And the reality is, in the right set of circumstances, every single one of us, and I include myself in this group, we are all vulnerable. Again, in the right set of circumstances, we are all vulnerable to this crime type. So that's my message today, my dear listeners, and I'll leave you with this. If you want to know more about how to protect your business or personal information, or if you think you've been the victim of an identity crime, you can speak with one of our expert advisors on the phone. You can chat live on the web, or you can even exchange emails with us during our normal business hours. Just visit idtheftcenter.org to get started and Once again, many thanks to Centrelink for their support of the ITRC and this podcast. Next week, we'll have two episodes of our sister podcast, The Fraudian Slip, breaking down the findings of our identity and practice report, which will be released on September 26th. This report is part of a three-year initiative that seeks to understand and examine identity crime victimization across Black communities in the United States. We're excited to have special guests Jill Roberts, Director of Advocacy at Clarify, and Jordan Bressinger, a postdoctoral research associate at Princeton University on the podcast, along with yours truly. And you'll be able to download a copy of that report by visiting idtheftcenter.org publications. We will return in two weeks with another episode of the Weekly Breach Breakdown. And there you will hear from either James, Alex, or Tim. But for now, I'm Eva Velasquez. Until that next podcast, thanks for listening.